0: so i want to say good morning church hey, it is my uh, honor and and privilege to have the opportunity to get to share god's word with you normally if i am uh, preaching it's at another church or i'm doing it for the military So uh, it's nice to be able to to preach, and I'll have a training schedule wrapped around my preaching time. uh, Although uh, Pastor Robert reminded me not to get carried away, so uh, let me me start my stopwatch here, because he gave me some parameters to stay within, but uh, anyway, hopefully hopefully I will be able to do that. It is my honor and privilege to be with my oikos this morning, and that's great. So we're going to be in Psalm 73 this morning, Psalm 73. And it's a a psalm written by a man named Asaph. And I think we're going to find that uh, the question that Asaph raises in this psalm and the problem that he's dealing with is something every one of us ask, every one of us have dealt with. And if you hadn't, just hang on. You live long enough, you're going to ask these same questions and have the same problem that he did. I call this sermon, Don't Get Stuck in a rut and Asaph finds himself in a spiritual rut he finds himself in life in a place that he doesn't want to be so while you're turning there I want to uh start off with a little back in the day story okay back in the day story now every time I've ever said that to my wife or my kids, their eyes roll into the back of their head and I get the, yep, the same look I'm getting right now by my kids right there. Because I always used a back-in-the-day story when they were all living at home and were growing up to, to convey a message or show an example of maybe what not to do or maybe what to do. And, uh, so, uh, but to me, a back-in-the-day story is something to, to my perspective that happened three weeks ago. Really and truly, the back-in-the-day story, I'm going to tell you, is probably over 35 years ago or so. But uh, to me, it only seems like yesterday. So uh, I don't know what teenage young men like to do today. However, when I was coming up, we liked to go and sit out all night and fish. And hopefully a lot of them still like to do that today, I don't know. But, uh, but this time of year reminded me of that because we're the last day of April. And it's hard to believe we're already at the last day of April. So when I was growing up, May, the whole month of May, started spring training. And we didn't get out of school to the end of May. So we always planned this big little fishing trip right at the end of April going into May. And uh, so we would get together and we had this place that we would go. and We had this place called The Forks. And it was an awesome place. It had this, this, this nice-sized creek that ran into this big river. And we'd build a big fire. And we'd sit out. And we'd catfish all night. Right? Channel cats. Anybody ever done that? You know? Sit out, catfish? No, maybe not. I don't know what they do today. But you could sit out and you could fish. you just throw your line out there. And you could shine the light. And you could see gator eyes out there and all this stuff. It was a, it was a great time. Well, this particular year... It had rained a lot throughout the spring, but we were determined we were not going to be denied this last blowout before spring training started, because the weather would always be great in April, but come May, it would be 110 degrees, just like that, and we're all, man, this is great, this is awesome weather. But It rained a lot, so we were at a friend's house, we were gathering everything together, we were getting ready to go, and we are all going to load up in, in the truck, and, and let me just say... What we had back then is nothing like what people drive today. You go out there in the parking lot today, you probably see 4x4 trimmer package, Z71, Bronco this, Bronco that. When I say we loaded up in the truck to go somewhere, we're piling this little Nissan and three of us in the cab like this and you're shifting gears like this. So let me just paint the picture here. So our friend's dad comes out and he says, look, I got to get up at 4 a.m. in the morning and go to work. He said, it's rained a lot, maybe you guys should call this thing off. And we're like, no, 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 we got this, we're going to go, we're going to do this thing, whatever. The last thing he told us before we pulled out was, do not get stuck. Don't get stuck. No, sir, we got it. No, your boys hear me, don't get stuck. No, we got it, we got it, we got it. So what do you think we did when we got out there? We got stuck and uh, now this is not the first time we would ever been stuck and normally you know you try to sync up so that if you get stuck there's someone else out there with you and and they can pull you out and all this and we thought we'd had this all worked out let me remind you there were no such thing as cell phones back then so if you got stuck had a flat tire couldn't fix it got broke down you had to walk to the nearest house or to a pay phone Now, I know a lot of you probably don't know what a payphone is, but you had to have coins, right? And you had to put in the coins. So we got stuck. So we tried everything that we normally knew to try to get unstuck. We had limbs. We were digging. We were doing this. We were doing that. And we got stuck even worse. We walk out several miles back to where we had to go, knock on a door, right? And I don't know why, but these people let us in to use their phone because there was no way. And we call my friend's dad. It, uh, I could just hear him through the phone now as we're waking this man up because he's got to get him go to work at 4 a.m. in the morning. So we told him where we were at, and it he helped him get us unstuck because the friends were supposed to meet us out there. We had no idea where they're at, and again, nobody had a cell phone. So if they weren't at home, you could not reach them. So long story short, he comes out. My friend's mom comes out with him. My other friend's dad comes out. His mom comes out with him. And we get them stuck too. So his dad is not very happy. Because the first thing he said when he got out is, is, what was the first thing I told y'all when y'all left? don't get stuck. So then we had to call someone else that had a tractor to come get us out. So six hours later, we finally get unstuck. Needless to say, we did not go fishing that night. But here's the thing. We didn't listen to the warning. We didn't listen to good advice. Then when we got ourselves stuck, instead of just stopping right there and going to get help, what did we do? We tried to get out of it ourselves because we didn't want to get in trouble and then we didn't want to hear the I told you so's or any of that. And so it made it much worse. So it involved hours of time. It involved over three families and it involved a very bad day and a pretty good tongue lashing to, to say that. Thank goodness for whatever reason, they did not call my dad. To this day, I don't know why, but I'm very blessed for that. But that is an example of a physical rut you can get yourself in. But we're going to talk about this morning the same thing as a spiritual rut that we can find ourselves in. And when we try to dig out of it, we don't listen to the warning signs. We can find ourselves very, very much deep inside of that rut, especially when we try to get out by ourselves. So sometimes we may find ourselves in a spiritual rut because we have neglected time with God. Maybe we could find ourselves in a spiritual rut because we have some unconfessed sin in our life. Maybe sometimes, like Asaph, we're going to look around and see what's going on in our world today and just get very distraught, very frustrated, and very angry at what's going on. So for whatever reason, we may find ourselves... In this spot, the answer on how to get out of it is in God's Word. And that's what we're going to look at this morning. We're going to look at why Asaph found himself in this spot and what he had to do to get himself out of it. I trust by now you have more than found yourself in Psalm 73. And I'm just going to read through about the first 25 verses. Uh, open us up in a word of prayer and then just just touch through here pretty quickly. But I think it's... a, a an issue that I talk to a lot of people about. And I think a lot of us find ourselves in the exact same spot. Psalm 73. God's word says this. A psalm of Asaph. Truly, God is good to Israel. To those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped. For I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. For they have no pains until death. Their bodies are fat and sleek. They're not in trouble as others are. They're not stricken like the rest of mankind. Therefore, pride is their necklace. Violence covers them as a garment. Their eyes swell out through fatness. Their hearts overflow with follies. They scoff and speak with malice. Loftily, they threaten oppression. They set their mouths against the heavens. And their tongue struts through the earth. But when I thought how to understand this, it seemed to me a wearisome task. Until I went to the sanctuary of God. Then I discerned therein. Truly you set them in slippery places. You make them fall to ruin. How they are destroyed in a moment, swept away early by terrors, like a dream when one awakes. O oh Lord, when you rouse yourself, you despise them as phantoms. When my soul was embittered, When I was pricked in heart, I was brutish and ignorant. I was like a beast toward you. Nevertheless, I'm continually with you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with counsel. And afterward, you will receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. Let us pray. Father God, thank you, Lord, for this word. Father, thank You that You put examples in Your Word that we can look at today. That when we're dealing with the exact same problems that those that we read about did, that we can look at Your Word and see, well, what is the fix? What is the remedy? How do we get out of this place when we find ourselves there? Lord, I just ask and pray that You'd open our hearts, open our minds to Your Word this morning, Lord, that we can apply that. Lord, I ask that you just move me out of the way and use me as your vessel. And Lord, I pray if there's one here today that does not know you, Lord God, through your son, Jesus Christ, they would not leave here without that relationship they can have with you through your son. Father, I ask the blessings on this time and may it bring you honor and glory and I ask these things in your name. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So when we look at Psalm 73 and we say, okay, this is a psalm of Asaph. Who was Asaph? And if you uh, ever take the time to study about Asaph, uh, he's a pretty uh, interesting guy. And in verse 1 here, when you look at verse 1, it says this, it says, he says, truly God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. So we learn a lot of things just from this first verse of who Asaph was. And and we see that, that he was a sincere God-fearing man. He was orthodox. He was conservative. He knows truth. He knows that, that God has been good to, to Israel. At this time, uh, King David is the king of Israel at, at this time. And if you go back and you, you study who Asaph was, Asaph had it going on. So Asaph was King David's worship leader. So he was a, a godly man, and, and, he, and he, had, he worked for the king, so he had a good job. He was in full-time ministry. His job was to bring psalms and and hymns and sing in the temple. So he had a a good job. He he came from the lineage of the Levites. From Levi. So he was born into the right family. He had this awesome full-time ministry job. He knew God. He was serving God. But yet we see he has a problem. And so it doesn't matter that if we're serving God in full-time ministry or or not as a Christian Christian. We sometimes will find ourselves in a place we do not want to be, spiritually speaking. We may find ourselves in a place of depression or spiritually just asking, you know, why God? How many of us in here have ever asked that question? Why am I going through this, God? Why did you allow this to happen? You know, why do you allow all this around me to go on and I see it every day and I can't make sense of it? Number one, the first thing we have to do, like Asaph, is we have to be honest with God, yourself, and others. Be honest with God, yourself, and others. Because as you see in verse 2, what does he do? What does Asaph do? He says, but as for me, my feet had almost stumbled, my steps had nearly slipped. He recognizes that he is not where he needs to be, and we think that Hey, you know, if, if we're we're the worship leader, where's Rick at? We we don't ever have any problems, right? Where's he at? No. Just because we're leading awesome worship doesn't mean that we don't deal with the same problems. And and as a Christian, we're gonna deal with these things. And 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 that's what Asaph is saying here. I nearly slipped. I nearly wound up doing some things maybe I, I didn't want to do or shouldn't have done. The thing is, the first thing we gotta do is recognize sometimes we have to be honest with God. We have to be honest with ourselves and to those around us, because We like to put a good face on even when we're going through things. One of the things that they teach you at at chaplain school when you're going through is, they say this, that chaplain, no matter how bad things get, you smile. You don't add to it. You don't say the negative things. Because if the chaplain's having a bad day, what do you think that's going to do to everybody else? And so, yeah, they teach you, it's like, like, fake it. Fake it. When you need to talk to somebody, you wait till later and you find another chaplain or somebody else to talk to. But do not let the others see you being negative and grunt, you know, being disgruntled and going through because that's, you know, that's just the way it is. Sometimes we'd like to put a good face on. Maybe we feel like, hey, you know, we're 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 doing the right thing by doing that, but actually sometimes we're not. And the first thing we have to do is recognize that we gotta be honest with God, yourself, and others. Second, when we look at verse 3 here, what happened to Asaph? So Asaph has this great job. Man, he's, he's this worship leader. You know? He works for the best employer of all. He worked for King David. right? And, and I don't know what happened. I don't know if he was riding his chariot around Jerusalem and he was looking at the marketplace and he was seeing stuff going on, looking around. But in verse 3, we start to get to the why he's having this problem. And in verse 3, he says, For I was envious of the arrogant when I saw Prosperity of the wicked. Number two, don't take your eyes off of God. Don't take your eyes off of God. That's what he did. That's, that's what happened was he started looking at the world instead of God. He started looking at man instead of God. He started looking at those around him and he said, Whoa, 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 they're arrogant and, and they're wicked, but they're prospering, and, and I've been trying to do what's right and do all these things and And I'm looking around and he's like, I don't understand. You ever find yourself in that position? I don't understand. But when we start to take our eyes off of God, we find that our perspective gets skewed and it gets messed up when we're not looking at it the correct way. Psalm 65 says this, I depend on God alone. I put my hope in Him. Look, if you look to people, people will disappoint you. Right. If we put our faith in something other than God, whether it's a government, whether sometimes it's our family or friends, there are times people will disappoint you. And if we look at, look at that, look at the, those around us, and we, we, we try to make sense of things, and we try to figure out what's going on, it's going to leave us in the same place that Asaph is. Look at verses 4-5. through five. He says, For they have no pains until death. Their bodies are fat and sleek. They're not in trouble as others are. They're not stricken like the rest of mankind. Now, is that the truth or is that a lie? See, he's starting to to fall into this lie here. He's starting to believe what he's seeing, and, and it's not the truth. Number three, the more you look at people, the less you see them as they are. The more you look at God, the better you see Him. See, he's looking around and he's like, look, nothing bad ever happens to these people. And that's what Psalm 73 is all about. He, he's asking this question, you know, why do bad things happen to good people and why, and why do good things happen to bad people? And it's easy to fall into that trap. But let me tell you, bad things happen to good people and bad things happen to bad people too. We live in a sin-fallen world. But if we believe this lie that Satan has, because it's easy to do, because when we look around and we see what's going on around in our society today... And, it, and if he, you know, is it any different than he did? Do we not see the wicked prosper, prospering all the time? Have you ever asked yourself, why are we making the decisions we're making today in our society? It makes no sense to me. And if you look around at it, it's easy to get frustrated, and it's easy to get down. It's easy to say, well, am I making any difference at all? And trying to do what's right. And this is like where Asaph is finding himself, right here. Here's the thing to remember. I like this quote. It's by Theodore Parker. Theodore Parker was a Unitarian pastor that, that, that preached, I think, around 18, if I remember, right, 20s and 30s. And he, was, he fought against the slavery and, and, and worked to abolish slavery. And Martin Luther King Jr. also used this quote as well. But he says this, The arc of the moral universe is long, but it bends towards justice. The arc is long, but it bends towards justice. So sometimes we look at what's going on around us, and it's like, like when we, we see people and we look at these things, we just don't understand, right? So what? we have a lot of social media around us today, right? So what, what do people generally post on social media? What do you generally see? People put a good face towards things, right? They don't normally post the negative stuff. And so if you look around and you look at, look at everything, you soon get the sense it's like it looks like everybody else has it all together and I don't. And a lot of times, it's inside the church that people put on a good face. when they show up. Look, I remember the days of, uh, you know, having kids at home. And, and Saturday morning, everybody was always good on Saturday morning. But come Sunday morning, let me tell you, that's when everybody's sick, everybody's tired, everybody's dragging. And sometimes you look around at church and you're like, how do they get their families here on time? And all the kids are dressed, they got shoes on, they got, well, How? there'd be times we'd be like like trying to get kids dressed in the car and you're you're fussing and and you're going on and you walk in the door, good morning, you know, hey. Like we got it all together, but we don't. Sometimes we fall into this lie that that, that everybody else's family is perfect and ours is the only one messed up. There are no perfect families, right? Who in here doesn't have that, that crazy whoever in their family, right? Who in here? Who in here is that crazy person in the, Just kidding, in, the, in their family. There are no perfect families, but it's easy to fall into that, and it's easy to fall into this lie from Satan that, 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 that you know, only, only you know, bad things are happening to good people, this bad theology. Look at verses 6 through 12. Let's, let's move on. He says, he, but he goes on to say more of the why. He says, look, pride is their necklace, violence covers them as a garment. He goes, their eyes swell out through their fatness. Uh, they scoff and speak malice. Do we hear people mocking God today? All the time people mock God. And it's frustrating to me as a Christian. He says they, they threaten oppression. They set their mouths against the heavens and their tongue struts through the earth. They're arrogant. They're prideful. I love, I love the language here. It's almost like a Shakespearean novel. The way, way it's read here in the ESV and and, and the way he puts that is that it seems like they're just getting away with these things. But here's the thing. Number four, hurting people hurt people. Hurting people hurt people. If you've done any amount of witnessing lately, if you go and you talk to people, especially with what's going on in our society today, you're probably going to get some anger vented back towards you. I have. I see it. I have it in counseling sometimes as well. Especially when you don't tell people what they want to hear and you tell them the truth. And if you see any of the things going on today, you're going to see anger and you're going to have language come out at you and you're going to wonder what in the world is wrong with these people. But our job doesn't change. Our job is to still share the truth and share the gospel. Because when we see Facebook or we see all these things and these different lifestyles and all these people doing all these different things and you think they're happy, but really and truly they're not. They're lashing out because they're hurting and they're lost and they're sad and they need to know the truth and they need to know the gospel of Jesus Christ. And sometimes when we're hurting, we may lash out too at people that's trying to help us. Sometimes we have to be open ourselves to having the truth told to us. That's hard. That's hard for us to do sometimes. Remember this when we're talking to others and we're witnessing Ephesians 6:12 and 13 for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood but against principalities against powers against the rulers of the darkness of this age against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places therefore take up your whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand so Asaph is just in these first 12 verses laid out the why he finds himself where he does. And in verse 13, we see, and let me ask you this as we go back over this, have you ever asked this question yourself? Starting in verse 13, he says, All in vain have I kept my heart clean and washed my hands in innocence. For all the day long I've been stricken and rebuked every morning. If I had said, I will speak thus, I would have betrayed the generation of your children. But when I thought how to understand this, it seemed to me a wearisome task. Point five, have you ever been in a low point in your life? Have you ever been there? Ever been in a low point? So here's what he's saying. Asaph is saying, I've done what I'm supposed to do. I get up. I go to work every day. I raise my family. I try to discipline them. I try to tell them what's right from wrong. I pay my taxes. I do everything that I'm supposed to do. And what do I get for it all? A kick in the pants. While everybody else seems to to be skating around things and breaking the law and doing this and doing that. And they seem to get away with it all the time. And he says, I try to do what's right and I try to go to church, I try to serve, you know, and I try to take care of my family, and it seems like all I can do is, is fight problems and issues and all these things. And he gets to the point that sometimes you're like, hey, does it matter, am I making any difference whatsoever? Or would it be easier just to, to give up sometimes? And maybe we find ourselves in that place where, you know what, I'm tired of the battle. I'm so tired. I'm tired of the fight. I'm tired of, of dealing with the issues day in and day out. And sometimes we may find ourselves in that place in life. Because life tends to throw a lot of things at us. And the longer you live, you soon realize that. And Asaph is just saying here, you know, and this is a man that's in ministry full time. This is a man that's got the best, one of the probably best positions, the best jobs in Jerusalem, working for the king. Yet he says, for all day long I've been stricken, I'm I'm rebuked. I can't understand what is going on. Have you ever found yourself there? Guess what? Now we're about to find out how to fix that. We're about to find out that God's Word has the answer to those things. It may not have the answer to your specific problem, but this is the pattern. The rest of these verses is the pattern. This is how we pull ourselves or work to get ourselves out of this rut that we can find ourselves in. He says this, starting in verse 17, until I went into the sanctuary of God, then I discerned their end. Let me stop there. So the last point is, focus on God. Focus on God. How did he first get into the place he was at? He quit focusing on God. Maybe he quit having his quiet times. Maybe he quit going to church. Maybe he quit, quit praying. Maybe he, he quit serving because life throws a lot at you. Jesus, Jesus never promised that we wouldn't have problems. He just promised that He would be there walk there with us through it and get us through it. But He said, not until I went back to church then I discern therein. It's like Ricky said earlier, once he started focusing back on God, when you start looking at life through a biblical worldview versus man's view, then it starts to make more sense. Then we start to see, hey, wait a minute. You know what? God's got this. I may not be able to understand why we're making these crazy decisions we're making over here or these decisions over here or why we're trying to to change what's been known forever and ever. But God's word says it's going to get that way. But God's in control and God says here's what's going to happen. And so, as soon as he starts focusing and going back to church. Then he gets the right perspective. He says wait a minute. God misses nothing. Truly you set them on slippery places. You make them fall to ruin. How they are destroyed in a moment. He refocuses back on God. Then he starts to see life. for The way things should be. And that's through this biblical worldview. But notice what's important here in verse 21, 22. He says, When my soul was embittered, when I was pricked in heart, I was brutish and ignorant. I was like a beast toward you. He confesses. He confesses. He refocuses back on God. And sometimes we think of confession is something that, you know, police lock in the room and beat a confession out of you. Sometimes we think of People think of confession; they think of going and, and, and sitting, with, you know, talking to a priest, through, you know, or something like that. Confession sometimes is when we admit what God already knows, but we have to say it out loud. We have to realize, you know what, Lord, I, w- I was ignorant. I acted brutish toward you. There's been times that I've been angry at God, and I had to learn. I had to repent from that myself. I had to ask forgiveness. And does God know that know what's in my heart? Sure, He does that there's something about confession, about storytelling, that when we do that, when we speak it out loud, and that is what Asaph is doing here, he is admitting these things. And that's part of it is we've got to refocus back on God, but sometimes we have to confess things. I have to claim 1 John 1.9 all the time, right? That He is faithful to forgive us if we will confess our sins to Him. Not for salvation purposes, but for relationship purposes. Because that sin sometimes creeps in. And my walk is not as close to God as I would like it to be. And it's not because I've lost my salvation, but it is because I've let something come between me and Him in that relationship. And when I confess it, it cleanses it. It gets it out of there. Because you know, God said, you know, if you draw near to me, I will draw near to you. But He's not going to force Himself on us. If we want to go way over here and get away, we can go way over here and get away from Him. Now the consequences will be there but he doesn't go anywhere. He's right here waiting for us to come back to him. And notice how Asaph finishes this, finishes this up. After he turns back to God, after confession, we see the relationship he has restored back with God. Nevertheless, I'm continually with you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. That relationship with God is Restored. And he says he walks with him every day and it's God's counsel, not man's counsel, but God's counsel that allows him to start seeing things back again clearly in the way they are. And not just in this life, but he also says, and afterward you will receive me into glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And he is able to restore the relationship that he had when he goes back To focusing on God goes back to church when he confesses what's in his heart and he's able to restore that relationship. There's a quote here I wanted to end with by uh, John Newton. Most of y'all are familiar with the writer of Amazing Grace. But he said this. John Newton said, Sometimes I compare the troubles which we have to undergo in the course of a year to a great bundle of sticks, he says. Far too large to lift But God does not require us to carry the whole bundle all at once. He mercifully unties the bundle and gives us one stick that we're to carry today and then another that we're to carry tomorrow and so on. We might easily manage it, he says, if we would take only the burden appointed for each new day. But we choose to increase our troubles By carrying yesterday's sticks over again today and by adding tomorrow's burden to our load before we are required to bear it. A lot of times we find ourselves in the places because we just keep yesterday's burdens we hold on to. We try to do today's burdens and we already start thinking about tomorrow's burdens too. God doesn't require that of us. He requires us to walk daily with Him. And when we do that, it helps us keep our perspective. But here's the thing. Before you could tap into any of this, you have to have that relationship right. Otherwise, these, they're awful hard and awful difficult. And the only way to get this right, the only way to to tap into this thing we call the body of Christ, the church. It's a living, breathing, ministering body. And it's awesome because I don't know where I would be Without my oikos or my church today. There's no telling. But it's only through Jesus Christ. Are you able to enter into that church. This thing called the church. And it's only through that. Are you able to make sense of this life. Without it. Who knows. It's everybody's opinion. It's a free for all. There has to be something above man. That says what's right and wrong. Otherwise it's your opinion, your opinion, my opinion. We all have opinions. But it's God that says what's right and wrong. It's God that says this is how things work. I'll leave you with this scripture. Romans 10, 9. If you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. You will be saved. Father, thank you for this time. Lord, thank you for your word that you give us to guide us and direct us. Lord, I pray for the rest of worship, Lord, that you are honored and glorified. As these things are your name. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.